0: Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is your host, Jessica Tai. So I am so excited to be here with you guys this morning. And I don't have my normal co-host here with me today, Derek. He is oh, I don't know, off doing something, earning a living. But (laughs) instead of Derek, I have a very special guest here with me this morning who has really been wanting to be on the podcast. She keeps asking. So this morning, I want to introduce to you my daughter, Gabrielle. Ty. Hey, Gabby. Do you want to say hi? You talk right into here. Hi. (laughs) So tell everybody, what is your name and how old are you?
0: I'm five years
1: old and what's your name gabby gabby yeah so you've been wanting to be on this podcast huh so here you are you're on it is there anything that you want to talk about yeah what do you want to talk about
0: you have to guess
1: I have to guess
0: yeah um mm. give me a hint no
1: no hints okay no. I think you want to talk about your kitten okay so tell us what do you want to say about your kitten she's a month years old one month years old so that so she's like actually she's probably about i think she's about four to five months old now can you believe that she's getting big huh and what's she eat she's a ketogenic kitty she eats chicken liver (laughs) that's right she eats chicken liver do you help me feed her that chicken liver yeah yeah so we just keep it in the fridge and you just get it out so mommy was gone this weekend at my ntp training and while i was gone did you feed the kitty yeah so did you get the chicken liver out of the fridge for me and you fed her yeah all right you think that's good for her to have that yeah all right okay well i'm gonna get on with the podcast here this morning do you want to tell everybody bye hey. <laughs> Well, you want to be on it still Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna talk to everybody about what happened this past week. Okay. Okay. Tell Lily about the hospital. Oh, about the hospital. We did. We did. We talked about that last week. (laughs) About Lily in the hospital. So this past week was has been very exciting. I did my first workshop weekend in Washington D.C. for my NTP training. And that was uh, that was man nerve wracking and super exciting um, all in the same uh, place. I was excited to travel to to do it. I was nervous to leave because of all the uh, health things that we had had going on with Lily a couple of weeks ago. So that was a uh, that part was nerve-wracking then it was also nerve-wracking just of course to go do the first workshop meet all my classmates it was exciting but I was you know feeling very nervous like man I just had all this stuff going on how far behind am I and you know do I really feel like I'm prepared for this and am I doing everything I should be doing and you really think that you know a lot about something until you're um, kind of formally supposed to be learning about it and and the and learning it the way they want you to learn it and then you think okay maybe i actually don't know what i think i know is maybe the verbiage that you use to explain things to clients is different than the way that they want you to explain things and then you start second guessing what you've been saying and Oh, it's like this crazy mind game, but um, anyway, the weekend was incredible, and I left there feeling so much more confident in my skills, and as um, and confidence in and growing those skills. It was super cool. We we really did a lot of practicing on our functional evaluation of clients and the uh, lingual neuro testing, which is super cool. And I keep thinking this is just such um, a value add for my clients. Like to be able to do this uh, for them is going to be amazing. So as I continue to hone that skill and my hands get more sensitive and I'm able to find even more of those points um, on bodies, it's going to be really amazing for my clients. So I'm super excited about all that. So Gabby, um, do you want to talk to us at all about how the weekend went while mommy and daddy were gone or anything cool that you did? Are you done with the podcast this morning? Are you all done? No. Okay, well if you want to talk, you have to be right here because the microphone's right here and nobody can hear you over there. So you have anything to say about the weekend? How did your weekend go while we were gone? Good. Good, so who was there? Who was here with you guys?
0: Um... Grandma Gigi.
1: Yeah, and you had fun with Grandma Gigi. Who else was here? Grandma Lana. Yeah, Grandma Lana. Speak up into there. You can talk like normal. Don't be shy. So, Grandma Lana, that's great. You don't get to see Grandma Lana that much because she lives kind of. She lives a little bit of a far drive, huh?
0: Mommy. Yeah. Is it okay in summer? Can we all go to? Um, Grandma Lana's sleepover? Sure,
1: of course. But we were thinking maybe we'll go for Christmas. How's that sound? That's even, that's even sooner. All right. Awesome. So you had fun with Grandma Lana, huh? Yeah. Yeah. She did a nice job while she was here taking care of you guys. You guys are a lot. Huh? You're very... Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I guess um, you want to tell everybody bye. I'm going to get on into the the interview. I interviewed a doctor for this podcast and they want to hear the interview. Okay. Okay. You want to tell everybody bye? Bye. Okay. So what an exciting start to the podcast this morning. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It is always exciting around here. I'm sure you probably heard if you listened to last week's podcast, there was a lot of background noise. Sometimes I can't always record in a quiet area or you know sometimes i'm able to record at one of our airbnb properties or i'm able to record when the kids are at school but then sometimes they're here and i'm trying to get the podcast episode finished and we have all this background noise and so sorry about that guys but i guess that's part of the adventure of listening to a podcast hosted by uh, yours truly, who has such a busy household. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's uh, that's pretty much all we've had going on this week. I mean, it, it's been a lot. There's, um, I'm sure like most people, we're just a busy family and have a lot of stuff going on. And the weekend trip was just um, amazing. I can't really say enough nice, good things about um, the NTA, NTP training. It's just an awesome program. And I'm so blessed to be a part of it. And I'm just having a blast. And I met some amazing people this weekend and and just, you know, you get to know everyone so well. I I don't know how many people were in my class. I think there's probably, now there's these different, they do these locations all over the country. They've got several of them set up so you can travel to where is most convenient for you. And then that's kind of your class that you are with the entire um, training, like the year that you're in these classes. And so, uh, my class is probably, I'm going to guess between 40 and 50 people. I i didn't actually formally count them, so I'm not sure exactly, but probably between 40 and 50. And you leave the workshop weekend just feeling like you've got 40 new good friends. I mean, you just really learn a lot about each other. We're, you know, doing all these, these uh, this you know, Effie and LNTing each other and doing all this stuff. So it's a lot of, I mean, we are very much hands-on with each other, you know, we're each other's guinea pigs going through this and, and you get pretty personal with the questions you ask and, and all these types of things, trying to, you know, really get a handle on moving forward as a nutritional therapy practitioner. So, it's a really good way to get to know somebody really quickly, really well. <laughs> so, anyway, so that was, that was great. It's been very exciting. So, I have an incredible guest on the podcast for you guys this morning. I want to get on with this so you can hear. Uh, the interview with him. I think you're really going to like it. He has a lot of really valuable information. So whether you're new to keto, whether you're not on keto at all, maybe you're paleo, maybe you're neither. Maybe you are just exploring the idea of changing your diet. And maybe you kind of have some ideas that the standard American diet isn't a great place to be, but you really don't know what to do or where to go. Or maybe you just have questions like, why is it not so great? And I'm not sure I really believe that. Well, then this is the guest for you to listen to. So today I am interviewing Dr. Ken Barry, MD. He is a family physician. He's a speaker and an author based near Nashville, Tennessee. So he was born in Linden, Tennessee, and grew up in the very small southern town of Hohenwald, Tennessee. He received a Bachelor of Science degree with honors in animal biology and psychology from, the, from Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in 1996. Then he received his MD from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, Tennessee in 2000. Ken has been practicing family medicine in rural Tennessee for over a decade. He is board certified in family medicine and has been awarded the degree of fellow by the American Academy of Family Physicians. Having seen over 20,000 patients during his career of all ages, he is uniquely qualified to write on both acute and chronic disease. More and more, Dr. Barry has focused on the chronic diseases caused by the standard American diet and lifestyle and has made it his mission to turn the tide on the epidemic of type 2 diabetes, chronic inflammation, and dementia. Ken has four children, three dogs, two cats, and seven peacocks. He and his beautiful wife, Naisha live on their farm in Holiday, Tennessee. So I'm so excited to share this interview with you guys and and introduce you if you don't already know who he is to Dr. Ken Berry and to his book that is out. We are gonna talk a little bit about the book and why he wrote it and kind of some of the things that are in there. But basically it is um, for your information. It's an excellent book. It has five-star review on Amazon and every Everyone I've heard talk about this book is just uh, super excited that it's out there and the information it gives you. So the title of the book is Lies My Doctor Told Me, Medical Myths That Can Harm Your Health. And I just cannot recommend enough that after this interview, you guys get out there, order that book. Like I said, it is available on Amazon. You can get it Prime, so you can have it delivered very quickly. And um, I will give you more information on how to get a hold of Dr. Ken Berry after this interview. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Ken to the podcast. Good morning, Ken, and welcome.
0: Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Jessica.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you just uh, take a minute or two and kind of tell everybody a little bit more about you and kind of what brought you to write this
0: book? Okay, sounds great. I am a board certified family physician. I practice in a small town in Tennessee, uh, university trained. I've been practicing for about 13 years now. And over the course of those 13 years, I have picked up on various things that doctors tell patients that aren't necessarily true. That's the title of the book. And uh, I've always been kind of a, a renegade and, and questioning of authority, I don't just blindly believe and repeat what I've been told. I always try to verify and look things up, and that's often not appreciated in modern Western medicine when you, when you do that. And so my favorite question in residency was, what, what's the source? Where's what, what what research are you citing? And very often that would be met with uh, uh, uneasy silence, because a lot of docs just want you to believe what they say, and that's the end of it, and that's not the way I learn, it's not the way I live, and it's also now not the way I practice medicine. If something's not proven with meaningful medical research, then I'm not going to recommend it to a patient, uh, and also, if if there has been nothing disproving something, then I'm happy to, to, for a patient to try that, if there's no research showing that it definitely does not work.
1: Yeah, that's great. And that is very unusual. You're right. (laughs) It is. I'm sure that is met with a little bit of eyebrow raising and and maybe some cold shoulders here and there.
0: Right. It has. There's no doubt about that. And I don't tend to mind that very much. Sometimes I actually enjoy ruffling feathers. And so it works out pretty well for me.
1: Okay, so uh, speaking of ruffling feathers, so yeah, the title of the book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, Medical Myths That Can Harm Your Health. So I'm sure that there are probably quite a few colleagues that that didn't go over super well with. Have you heard from any of them, or how's that Well, been?
0: yeah, I have, and I'll tell you, I had a couple of, of my colleagues say, you know, that's, that's really strong language. Maybe you should just call it medical myths. <laughs> and, I, and, and here's what I told them, and I'll just repeat it to you guys. Uh, if your hairdresser tells you, "Oh, you know, Jessica, you should eat more whole grains. If they're really good for you," then you can't really fault her. She's just a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really know what she's talking about. She's not board certified. She's not licensed. She's not obligated to give you a an intelligent, researched, educated opinion. That's just her opinion, and mm-hmm. she's entitled to that, like everyone else is. But when a doctor tells you <clears throat> you should eat more whole grains, then that doctor's held to a higher standard, and, and that's where the word lie comes from. Because if you just if you're just a guy on the street, you can say whatever you want to, and nobody can hold you liable for that. But if I give bad medical advice and something bad happens to the patient, I can be held uh, legally liable for that, and that makes in you know, the definition I mean, that becomes a lie. You, sure. you misled this patient because you put your authority and your reputation. On the line saying, yes, eat more whole grains. Turns out there's no research that really backs that up at all. So that's a lie. And so this yeah. is uh, 17 or 18 of those lies that I've kind of picked up over the decade of practice that I've found that doctors tell patients. And I'm just as guilty as doctor, other doctors of telling some of these lies early in my career before I knew that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because if you meet a guy on a street, you're just expecting his opinion. When you go to your doctor, you expect that he's the authority on health and wellness and nutrition plays a part in that. And if they're not educated in that, but they're pretending like they are and answering your questions as if they are, that's a lie.
0: Exactly right. That's my logic and that's why I chose the title of the book and that's why I stuck with it. And uh, the publishing house I was talking to early in the process, they really had a problem with that and that's why I wound up. Self-publishing, because I think that word needs to stay, because that's effectively what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, like, like you said, nutrition is not just a part of it; it's the biggest part of it. Yeah. And so if a doctor, if a doctor doesn't know his nutrition science and and the the human biochemistry of digestion, he needs to shut up. He doesn't <laughs> need. To, he needs to. He needs to just say, "I don't know. I don't know if you should eat whole grains or not. I have no idea." Right. That would be much more honest and actually much more helpful to the patient if he just said, "I don't know, Google it, and I don't know. That <laughs> well, would that, be so much <laughs> more helpful than telling them something that's absolutely backwards, yes, and harming their health.
1: yeah, well, that would be refreshing,
0: wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so my husband and I were recording um my uh, this keto lifestyle podcast episode yesterday. And one of the things that we were talking about um from yesterday's episode, was the fact that um, you go like we we've talked about this before on previous episodes, but we brought it up again because we had just come uh, out of the hospital with my daughter last week, and one of the things that blew our minds was that we must have seen, I mean, I honestly maybe a dozen different groups of specialists in this children's hospital from neuro, you know, neurologists and geneticists and you know surgeons and all these people, um, you know, just all different kinds of, of uh, groups of, of professionals and, and doctors and, and whatnot in that, in that hospital. And through our stay of five days and my daughter being in the um, uh, pediatric ICU unit for uh, three to four of those days, not one time to get to the bottom of what was going on with her did one person in that hospital ask me about her diet, not exactly. one. Exactly,
0: yeah. That That's blew ridiculous. my
1: mind. That's crazy. <laughs> now I know is. her diet is good, but they don't know that I know anything about nutrition. I just couldn't exactly. even believe that that didn't come up. So, you know, tell me, tell me the way you think it should have gone, or how do you think we need to? Be, how do you think this needs to be in the future? Like what? What are the issues that you see with something like that?
0: Well, anyone just listening to your story you just told should see the idiocy of that. Mm-hmm. If you have a sick dog and you take your dog to the vet, what is one of the very first questions the vet asks you?
1: That We talk what, about that all the time. They ask you what, what do you do, feed them? What are you
0: feeding this yeah. dog? What <laughs> have you been feeding this dog? Because it matters. It yes. matters, it's the most important thing unless you're poisoning your dog, is what, you, what are you feeding your dog or unless he's been hit by a truck, then the most important thing that you can tell that vet is what you've been feeding your dog because that matters. Humans are not somehow magically exempt from that. I don't know where that started in modern medicine that basically the human body is a magic thing and you can just feed it you know, cupcakes and honey buns and it'll somehow turn that into good healthy human tissue. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. and so right. the fact that nobody wanted to know about your daughter's diet and if she was able to eat in the hospital i'll, I'll bet the stuff that they brought to the room was atrocious
1: <laughs> it was <laughs>
0: it's like yeah don't touch that honey don't even touch right that, i mean
1: that when she was first allowed when she finally was allowed to eat which was like on day four of being in there the first thing they offered her of course they said well she can have she can start with clear fluids and so i'm thinking to myself oh this is <laughs> this is fantastic she can have some yes. water and yes. like some Broth, right? Yeah, <laughs> be absolutely. fantastic. Bone broth. And they offered her juice and yeah. Jello. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Like, Here's oh, some sugar God. with the
1: Exactly. Sugar. Here's some sugar and some more sugar water to go with your other sugar water. <laughs>
0: uh, it exactly. just blew
1: my mind, and not just sugar water, but then the Jello. I read the back of this gelatin container they brought me for her, and. I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't even feed this to her. And it broke my heart because she's hungry. I mean, she hasn't eaten yeah. in four days. And you right. know, she didn't understand. But I mean, I couldn't even pronounce half the ingredients on the back of it.
0: And just now, as you and I are talking, we're laughing about this. But at some point, it needs to stop being funny. Yes. People need to start seriously saying, what the heck is wrong with you? Why would you even bring that crap into my daughter's room? Yeah. What are you thinking? Who's your new, let me I need to talk to the nutritionist or oh, the dietitian I need to talk to them right now people be- <laughs> need to start doing that because when you start calling them out, out on this they'll magically start to think and go hmm, I wonder if I, maybe I shouldn't give them sugar water as the very first meal after they've been very very sick maybe we should not do that yeah but it's never going to happen as long as people you know even even you and I who know better we're still kind of making a joke out of yeah. it and I think it's I think it's past time for it to stop being a joke no,
1: I totally agree, and I think that you writing this book as a respected MD is really going to help. Hopefully, that kind of tide of change here. That's
0: this, what I was going for because yes. the last chapter in the book is, a, is 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 written to my fellow colleagues, and it basically says, in a nutshell, guys, you either need to step step up or step aside because. People are quickly starting to get their nutrition and their health and their prevention advice from chiropractors, from from other, you know, um, naturopathic practitioners. People are just starting to not even value your opinion anymore because your opinion is often silly. So you need to step it up. And yes. I don't know if that will have any meaningful effect or not, but I sure hope it does. Well,
1: I sure hope so, too. And, you know, it's I think that's a... A great message and a great way to address your colleagues because it is true. I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's kind of your typical, your your normal MD and having, you know, your primary care physician. It really is going by the wayside. People are, you know, we're we're focused on. Okay, I'll go see my doctor. Like myself and my husband, we've been like this for years. We will go see our doctor if we have to. If we have yeah. some, if we need some acute care and know that you know we have some infection we probably need an antibiotic for god forbid then we'll go see our our physician otherwise you know we see a functional medicine practitioner we go to a chiropractor that we you know rely on a lot i'm a nutritionist so those are the things that we fall back on
0: right and when you start seeing people like that and actually fixing your diet and fixing your nutrition and fixing your lifestyle you magically stop needing to see an MD all the time That's and right. so what I you know what I'm trying to tell these guys is your business is going to start to suffer because people aren't going to need two blood pressure pills and three diabetes pills and two cholesterol pills from you they're not going to need any of that <clears throat> and even the ones who think they need it are going to be taught by other people they don't they don't need that you're right. And so it's really, you know, your wedding room is going to start gathering cobwebs because nobody's coming to see you because they're being fixed elsewhere.
1: Yep, that's right. So speaking of all of those things that you just mentioned, like cholesterol, for instance, so can you kind of talk to to us, to my audience here, a little bit about what is wrong with what a standard MD that someone would go see, and then they get these cholesterol panels run. Tell me what's wrong with that. Why is... Why is that so, that, you know, that information is so outdated?
0: So there was a time in medicine when no matter what you had wrong with you, whether it was a sore throat or a gunshot wound, one of the main treatments that the doctor would do would be to bleed you, Mm -hmm. either with leeches or with a, a sharp object, they would bleed you. And they considered that to be standard of care. Now we look back now and we know that we can see that that was silly. That was just ridiculous. But they—that this was not just something some quack doctors were doing. The American Academy or whatever existed back then, if you didn't bleed patients, you would have gotten in trouble. Because, or you would have been looked upon as a quack because you weren't following the standard of care. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, back in the 50s, there was a, a, a guy by the name of Ansel Keys. And you may very well know this story, but I don't yeah. know if all your listeners do. But he was a, a, a vegetarian, and he was a nutrition researcher. And he did this huge study, funded in part by the federal government, and then latched onto later by by people in, within the federal government and pr- promoted as gospel. But he studied the diets of 22 different countries: how much fat, how much sugar, how much uh, you know carbs, how, many, how much protein, and he kept up with all that. And then he published a study. And everybody calls it the seven, seven country countries, study. right? <laughs> right, but now, so he was a, you, you know, anybody with any sense would go, wait a minute, what happened to the other countries? That's right. <laughs> well, the seven countries this is called cherry picking the data, is what it's called. And, mm-hmm. and some people call it just a flat out lie, and other people call it, you know, these, these other nice uh, euphemisms. But he was basically either consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously misleading everyone by saying, oh gosh, these seven countries proved beyond any doubt that a high saturated fat intake leads to heart disease. And so based on that one published lie, and I consider that a lie, Mm
1: -hmm. the
0: entire course of modern Western medicine was altered because if saturated fat matters, then it must do something and it must raise your cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And so therefore if raising your cholesterol leads to heart disease, then probably lowering cholesterol would lower your risk of heart disease. So we should probably come up with medicine. We should tell people to stop eating saturated fat, but you know they're not going to. So we're going to have to come up with a pill that will lower their cholesterol or lower their triglycerides, because everybody knows that's you know saturated fat leads to elevated total cholesterol and triglycerides, and that leads to heart disease. So we can lower the rate of heart disease by lowering their cholesterol. That's the thinking that happened there. And, it, mm-hmm. and see, it, once you understand, it was all based on a false premise. Back Mm -hmm. in the very beginning, it was based on untrue science, uh, false findings. That's what it was all based on. So basically, all of it needs to be thrown in the garbage, and we need to start over. Because there may very well be some truth to it for a a tiny subset of the population who has some genetic variability. Right. But for the average person walking the street, we have no idea if if cholesterol, if, if taking Lipitor or Zocor to lower your cholesterol will lower your risk of a heart attack or a stroke. Probably probably there's zero benefit from taking those things. But there might be a little, but we really don't know because all the research was based on this false baloney.
1: Right. And so, so my question then too is it's not like this has been, it's not like it's hidden though that this is false. I mean, there are so, there's been so much research since that says this seven, you know, this Ansel Keys seven country study, which is really 22 countries, has been talked about so much and there's been so much doubt put on that that why isn't there something happening with this? Why isn't something being done to say, oh, you know, oops, I think we messed up. Let's go back to the drawing
0: board. And the, the reason for that is the following. The Western society, American society, is very partitioned. If I looked at your Facebook feed, it would look nothing like my Facebook feed, mm-hmm. and and your neighbors would look nothing like yours. And that's because we like what we like, and we read what we read, and we ignore everything else. And so, even even though to you and I it feels like that everybody knows that Ansel Keys was full of crap and that all this stuff is silly. But in reality, it's kind of like the paleo and the the ketogenic diet. It feels to us like those things are mainstream. But a professor did a study, and he had a PowerPoint presentation I watched just the other day. Less than 10% of the the population of America has ever even heard of the paleo diet. Or or at best, they have some vague inkling. I guess you eat like a caveman. I don't know. But we feel like it's mainstream because us and all our colleagues and all our friends, we talk about it and we know about it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the average guy walking the street, working a job, going home, he they have no idea about this stuff. And, they, and so we all need to keep talking and don't assume that everybody knows about this because we are still in the very small minority that knows about this. And once you do look at the research and once you do read over this stuff, you're like, what the heck? This yeah. is ridiculous. And yeah. so every... Every intelligent medical researcher and doctor for the last fifty years has been staking their reputation based on this. Yep, they sure have. Then once you see once you see it that way, it is ridiculous, and then you never believe it again. But we have to always remember we're in the minority. The average person on the street has no idea about what we're talking about today, and it's our job to keep reaching out and and touching them and teaching them.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're so right. I actually I did a. A seminar not too long ago, and I and I never really thought about it the way you just said it. But in that seminar, I taught what I thought was kind of basic um, information about digestion and, and nutrition, and you know macros, and just trying to kind of give people like a basic. Um, You know, just touch on the basics and then we could kind of get more into talking about the paleo diet, the keto diet, like why these things are better. And we talked, we touched a little bit on cholesterol and a little bit on heart disease and a little bit on diabetes and these things. I never, in I did three of them. I never got through my presentation on any of the three that I did because what I assumed people knew they had no idea about.
0: Exactly, And it
1: blew my mind. Because like you said, yeah. I thought, not that I, not that I thought they were dumb because they didn't. I just assumed wrongly that everybody was as interested and into learning about these things as I was. And like you said, my friends and my family, these are things we talk about. So it blew my mind.
0: Right. And when you assume that your next door neighbor knows about these things and you're wrong, that's your fault. But yeah, if you assume right. that your doctor knows about these things and you're wrong, that's your doctor's fault.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with you. That's the
0: difference. That's so, the difference.
1: So since we're talking about uh, paleo and uh, keto, this is probably a good segue to talk about. So when you have clients that come in and meet with you, um, you obviously do know about nutrition and, and you realize the foundational role that plays in our health. So what do you talk to your clients about? How do you how do you approach that?
0: So when I have a new patient come in who wants dietary advice to me, nutrition advice, weight loss advice, what should I eat, what should I avoid, what I tend to tell them is a paleo slash keto plus or minus intermittent fasting regimen. And so if, for example, they're an overweight type 2 diabetic, then we talk, first of all, about that being curable. They don't. That, that's not a chronic progressive disease. That can be cured, but I can't cure it. They have to cure it with their diets, and so I teach them how to do that, and that's with a ketogenic diet. And then I teach them about intermittent fasting, and how to slowly increase the time of their their fasting window each day, and that helps them lose weight. That helps them get their their uh, glucose level, their insulin level, and ultimately their hemoglobin A1C level back under control and back into normal territory. And then. If they're comfortable with keto and IF, they can keep doing that because I think that's a, I think that's a healthy alternative, much, much healthier than the standard American diet. But if they're missing their fruits and berries and, and, and sweeter things, we can add that back in and they can have a paleo diet, remembering to keep an eye on the blood sugars and on the weight so that it doesn't creep back up. And If ever, if ever it does, they can switch back to their keto IF until they get it back under control.
1: That's great. So Let me uh, stop you there for a second and ask you just to explain to any listeners who maybe you are kind of new to just even exploring nutrition and maybe new to the whole keto idea, maybe new to paleo even, um, why, why in the world would you tell a diabetic, a type 2 diabetic that comes in to see you, why would you tell them that keto would be a good option for them? What is it about ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting that would
0: be good? So, more and more, it's becoming obvious that type 2 diabetes is not in any way the same thing as type 1 diabetes, it really probably shouldn't even be called diabetes, because it is not, uh, type 1 diabetes is a a deficit of insulin, Uh but in type 2 diabetes, they actually produce too much insulin, and they produce it too much for so long that their body becomes insensitive to it or resistant to it. And it's much more complicated than that, but that's just how we talk about it so people kind of understand what we're saying. And so the, the average type 2 diabetic, when I check their lab work, their insulin level is very, very elevated. And so their pancreas is secreting more than enough insulin to keep their blood sugar under control, but usually they're overweight, not always, but 99% of the time. And, and something about that obesity has made them just resistant to their own insulin. Mm -hmm. and so the blood sugar staying out in the in the bloodstream is damaging all the tiny arteries in their eyes and their brain and their heart and their toes and other appendages that they would like to keep and keep working and over the years of that buildup of damage things stop working you start to lose parts you start to go blind you wind up on dialysis and other things heart attack stroke all that stuff Mm -hmm. and so The human body can either burn glucose as energy or it can burn ketones as energy. And so as long as you're feeding your body lots of carbs, it's going to burn carbs. And all the fat that you've got on your belly and your booty, or even worse, in your liver and in your pancreas, is just going to sit there. You're never going to burn it off. You have to teach your body how to start burning fat as energy, as an energy source, and burning ketones then your body says, oh yeah, I remember, I can burn that fat on your booty. I don't have to have a serving of whole grain bread every two hours. I can just burn that fat on your booty. And it starts to do that. And as you burn the fat on your booty and in your belly and in your liver and pancreas, your levels start to return to normal. You lose weight. You feel better. You look better. And also all your lab values, your inflammatory markers, everything starts to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, by adding in the intermittent fasting, because what we're trying to do is keep your insulin level as low as possible for as many hours a day as possible. That's how you lose weight. Weight gain and weight loss has really nothing to do with calorie deficit, calorie counting, uh, burn more calories than you eat. All of that is misleading. That's another lie that I, that we talk about in the book, actually two chapters on that. Mm-hmm. But that has nothing to do with how the human body Puts on adipose tissue because you know gaining weight can mean lots of things your bones could be getting stronger You could be putting on muscle, but when we say gaining weight What we mean is we're adding extra unwanted adipose tissue or fat tissue To places that we don't want it and your body only does that when your insulin level is elevated That's the only time it does that and the way we know that to be a fact is just if anybody's ever known a type 1 diabetic as a child They're never overweight. They're always very skinny. Yes, and in the old days, before we invented insulin, those kids, no matter how much you fed them, would literally digest their own body because they had no insulin that would let them gain weight. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the truth of the matter. And nobody argues with that. But then, I don't know, well, I do know why, but then we all want to revert back to talking about calories and how many calories are in that, and did you burn more calories than you eat, and which really has nothing to do with anything Because the human body doesn't burn anything. We biochemically digest our food. Mm -hmm. And there are different pathways that the different macronutrients go down. And so 100 calories of lettuce is not equal to 100 calories of honey, is not equal to 100 calories of bacon. Those things are not the same at all.
1: Right, right. Yeah, we we like to dumb it down. And and it sounds good, right? Like calories in, calories out. I mean, that sounds easy. We can understand that.
0: Exactly, but that's really so misleading, and it's led to the failure of millions of people to achieve their weight loss goals or fitness goals because they are trying to count these stupid calories. Okay. And I don't, I don't really know why doctors buy into that. Because in, in medical school, in our biochemistry class, we studied all the biochemical pathways that that that, that glucose and fructose. And the fatty acids and the proteins—we're we have we are tested on those rigorously. We we can see those things when we close our eyes. We can mm-hmm. see them up on the board, and nowhere on any of those graphs and charts and diagrams does the word calorie appear.
1: You know, I've but, often wondered about that, Ken, because I'm you know I'm doing so I'm I'm a, a you know a health and wellness nutrition coach, whatever you want to call me, but. I am studying to get my practitioner license, a, a nutritional therapy practitioner license. And through that study, which is not even anywhere near, it's not even a blip on the screen to what you have gone through in schooling. But even in just what I'm doing, they, like you said, I mean, we are just learning all these, I mean, all the biochemical processes in the body. And, and you know, like you said, they're just going over and over and over what happens when you eat food and how your body uses it and all these things. So I've often, and especially now as I'm going through that, I think to myself, how could a doctor that had mm-hmm. to learn this, and way more than what I'm even getting into, how, how do they just push that out of their mind and not <laughs> tell their client that?
0: I'm not sure, and that, I'm still working on that because it's almost like the average doctor separates the food before it passes your lips. It becomes something magical after it passes your lips. It somehow magically changes because when it's sitting there on the shelf, it has calories and the calories mean stuff, and we have to count them and subtract them and do all that stuff. But once you eat them, your body doesn't even know what a calorie is. And right. so then it reverts to the biochemistry. And you're going down the Krebs cycle or the, or the gluconeogenesis pathway mm-hmm. or the, you know, the, you're burning the fats. You're, doing, you're going down these pathways and there are, no, there, there are no unknown pathways there. They're all known and, do, and mapped out right. in intimate detail. But yet somehow when the food passes your lips and you swallow it, it changes somehow magically. And, and so we, we're still worrying about the calories, even though the calories really only matter when the thing's sitting on the shelf. Right. The calories don't matter to your body at all. Your your body, you might as well say, I'm going to eat 50 cents worth of bacon. It's to say 50 calories of bacon because your body doesn't know what cents are. And it does also doesn't know what calories are. It has no idea what that even means. It yes. just knows you gave it some fat. And so it, that's going down this pathway.
1: Yeah. So there was a book. Um, I don't remember what this book was called. And even if I did, I wouldn't say it because I don't want to give them any press. But There was um, a a couple of years ago, I think um, it was probably a couple of years ago. Now I had a friend that recommended this book to me and um, I'm like, okay, you know, I'll read it. And so, and I hope if she listens to this, she doesn't get upset, (laughs) but I read this book and it was this really short read, but the basic, um, the basic, premise of this book was all calories are created equal so if you eat a hundred calories of um snickers versus a hundred calories of an avocado it doesn't matter they're both a hundred calories and so mm-hmm. you're you know you as long as you stay within whatever your calorie allotment is for the day then then you're fine so if that's you know, living on Coke and Twinkies, or if that's living on water and avocados, it's all the same. It's a wash as long as the calories are the same. And um, that was just like, oh my gosh, like people are, they're reading this, and they believe this.
0: Sure. Oh, the, the average person walking the street, that's exactly what they believe, is yeah. that if you eat too many calories of anything, you're going to gain weight. Or if you, if you, you know, if you eat... A uh, thousand calories a day, but you burn twelve hundred calories. Then in two weeks, you lose a pound. Yeah. They believe it that 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 first law of thermodynamics says it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. In reality, the biochemistry that happens with human digestion is cr- insanely complicated. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the calories. Your body never counts calories.
1: Yeah. It's just. It's really. It is really sad. And I I agree with what you said earlier about how it really is, you know, I feel almost like a duty to, to get this knowledge out there to people. It's like, once you know, you need to share it. Like you, you need to help because people are in trouble. I mean, we need help. Yes. You know, this is a, I'm so sad for my kids. You know, I kind of just look around and think, oh my gosh, what is this world going to look like in 20 years or 40 years? I mean, look at what's happened to us in 40 years.
0: Just read a statistic yesterday. There's over a hundred million Americans with either type 2 diabetes or just on the verge of, of having it. They have insulin resistance and, and, and uh, pre-diabetes, but there's over a hundred million of us that have a completely curable, unnecessary, nutrition-induced disease. Mm. And all of those guys, if they're gonna try to fix it, they're gonna try to start counting calories. Which is just—it's fool's play. It's not going to help them at all. They're going to fail. And on on average, what happens is they go see their doctor, and he tells them to start counting calories. Then they fail, and then he gives them the guilt trip because he just knows they weren't—they weren't trying.
1: Yes. But
0: he's the one that gave them the false plan that was doomed to failure. Right. So so you know, it's his fault, but it's their problem.
1: Right. And that's
0: that's what I try to tell people is yeah you know I, I, this is your one body. This is your one life. This is not a video game. You don't get to restart. And so if you take the bad advice of a doctor and you don't verify that or think about that at least, you and your family are going to be the one who suffer from that. He's not going to suffer. He'll be on the golf course. He'll be fine. That's right. You'll be the one suffering, and it's too late then. You can't take it back when when you've become an overweight type 2 diabetic and you've lost a foot and you're on dialysis. It's too late.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: You can't ever get that stuff back. But there's also nothing you can't there's nothing you can do about it. And so rather than wait until that point, how about you start paying attention now and start asking your doctor questions? And I say this over and over in the book, if your doctor is offended when you ask him questions, <clears throat> or if he's offended when you bring stuff you've printed out off the internet, like, Hey, I saw this Jessica somebody podcast and she said something about something, so I printed this out. And yeah. what do you think about this? If that offends him, then you should maybe find a new doctor because <laughs> I love that when people bring stuff in because it shows me they're motivated and they're eager and they're ready to make some changes.
1: Yes. And so if you're, if
0: your doctor's offended by that, then that's that's a, a red flag.
1: Yes, I totally agree with that. I feel the same way about the nutrition clients I work with. You know, if they're I mean, it's fine if they have no interest in learning about things and they just want me to tell them what to do. That's fine. You know, that there's a place for that too, but I love it when somebody comes in and says, "Hey, You know, I've been hearing about this or about that. So why can I try this or why would this not be a good idea? Or I love that because that tells me they really are interested in getting better and they are they believe that nutrition can help them be healthy and achieve the goals that they're looking for. And and that's great. That's what I want. You know, I want somebody to be interested.
0: Absolutely. And that's my favorite kind of patient is somebody who's interested and motivated and has questions that they want answers to. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. So um, can I ask you a couple of questions um, without giving the farm away um, that about some things that you talk about in the book?
0: Absolutely. That,
1: um, you know, maybe some some people might might get some of my listeners thinking, huh, I want to I want to learn more about that. So I know one of the things you talk about in your book is the truth about salt. So yes. this is a subject near and dear to my heart. So I would love to hear a little bit about what you what you go into in your book about salt.
0: Well, during my entire medical career, I've been taught as a medical student and as a resident that eating too much salt will elevate your blood pressure, and elevated blood pressure increases your risk of having a heart attack or stroke. Therefore, if you decrease the salt intake, then you should decrease the blood pressure, and then that should decrease your risk of heart attack and stroke. That's the logical thinking that goes into all this. But the problem is, is once again the the base research that proves that eating because what we we don't care if your blood pressure is high or low, really we don't care if you're what about your fluid balance. What we're trying to do is keep you from having a heart attack or stroke. That's the ultimate outcome. Yeah. And so at some point there should have been a huge study done that looked at salt intake levels and the risk of heart attack and stroke, but that that study's never been done, and the ones that sort of did that um, left-handedly show every single time that actually the more salt you eat, the less likely you are to die of all causes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, again, everything is based on this false premise, and so you literally have to go back to square one and say wait what so you're telling me that there's not a single study out there that shows oh these guys ate a lot of salt and they were much more likely to have heart attacks and strokes no that research does not exist yeah, yeah that's never that, that's never been proven it's it's a theory and it's a theory that in my mind has been disproven by multiple other large studies that that showed that is one of their indirect consequences that the people who ate the least salt tended to die earlier and the people who ate
1: the most salt yes I have also I have definitely seen those I was um I've I recently had talked a few podcast episodes back about the salt fix um yes uh, yeah Dr. James and I always pronounce his Mm -hmm. last name wrong but um, Dr. D yeah
0: yeah there you go
1: Yeah. And he really gets into some of, uh, some of the reasons why those studies that we've all been told are the reason why everything that we know about salt is, uh, correct, why those are wrong. And, um, you know, and it's interesting. That's a
0: great book. I highly recommend it.
1: Yeah. And so my mother-in-law, for instance, um, was put on a uh, was put on a blood pressure medication by her doctor and told that she needed to avoid salt. Uh, that mm-hmm. you know her blood pressure was too high. So I know that that is uh, very common for people um, to to go in and hear that from their doctor and and to have that done. I, I can't tell you how many people I know are on blood pressure medication and told to avoid it.
0: Absolutely, and it's so hardwired into what we've been taught this entire generation that that is now adults that Mm -hmm. oftentimes when I'm trying to counsel somebody about how to lose weight, I'll say, well, what have you done so far, you know, to start the weight loss process? And it's very, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all when somebody says, well, I've really cut back on my salt
1: Yeah. (laughs) and I'm
0: like, okay, but why, why do you think that matters at all? Uh And they're like, well, I I mean, I just thought that was a good thing. I just needed to cut back on my salt. Right. 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 And then I found a new area that I get to teach that patient. in.
1: <laughs> yes that's right
0: yeah <laughs> because yeah that, but that's it's so hardwired that we immediately think oh yeah the first thing I did was I cut back on my salt and switched to skim milk
1: yeah and oh it's like, no, 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 <laughs> stop that. right well hey so since you brought it up so let's talk about milk so yeah I was the milk Nazi for a long time with my family and uh, year this is years ago so but it, it still uh, hurts me to have to say and admit that I was the skim milk. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tried to get everybody in my family to switch to skim milk. You know, why are you drinking that whole milk or or 2%? Like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know how much fat's in that? And as I, you know, of course, as I grew and learned and and did all this about 10 years ago, changed my stance. But explain to us, you know, what's wrong with skim milk? I mean, it's low fat, and I mean, it's practically (laughs) water.
0: It is practically water, except for that pesky sugar and exactly. inflammatory <laughs> proteins. It is water, right. and it tastes like water. But so milk's made up of three things. It's made up of, of three the three macros. It's got it's got protein and it's got sugars and it's got fat. Mm-hmm. As, it, as it comes from the the mammal, not yes. just the cow, but all mammals. And so, there for each different species, there's different percentages of fat, and there's all these different prebiotics and probiotics and all these thousands of compounds, breast milk, which is what milk is, people Uh forget that, that's the breast milk of a cow, that is not a liquid, it is a tissue. That's really how you should think about milk. It's a liquid tissue. And so it's not something to be trifled with. And so the reason that mammals give their babies milk Yes, is so that their baby will grow and gain weight as quickly as possible because the, the mammalian brain is bigger than the average reptile brain. And so we have to be born almost prematurely to get through the birth canal because of our big heads, because of our big brains that make us special. And so the the, the mammal mommy needs something to help that baby gain weight and grow as quickly as possible. The average cow puts on a 1,000 pounds in a year, uh-huh. and that's from that's from mother's breast milk, from the cow's breast milk. And so, what makes the cow gain all that weight? It's the fat in the milk, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's not the fat at all. It's actually the milk sugars that are in the milk. That's what helps the cow gain weight, and the other nutrients that helps him build bone and muscle and, and, and organ. But the, just the, the the weight gain of any fat, that comes from the sugar. And so skim milk has had the fat, really the best part of the milk, taken out of it. Yes. And all the only things left is the milk sugar and the potentially inflammatory proteins that are in milk. Mm-hmm. And so really of all the dairies, that's the worst of all is mm-hmm. skim milk. It's yes. the absolute worst.
1: Yes, yeah, they've taken everything good out of it and left and sometimes added plenty of yes. bad stuff.
0: Exactly right. And so I try to get my patients, especially in the ketogenic phase, when they're trying to lose weight, to avoid all liquid dairy. And if they want to eat a a full fat cheese or if they want to use heavy cream in their coffee or eat lots of butter, I'm totally fine with that because that doesn't elevate their insulin level at all. So they stay in ketosis and they're able to lose the weight. But it's so common for somebody to come in thinking, "Oh yeah, you know, I was e- eating a uh, drinking a Pepsi and eating a, a sweet roll for breakfast. Now I'm doing much better. I'm eating Special K with skim milk." <laughs> and I look at them with a straight face and I say, "That's exactly as bad. Right. That is the same thing. There's literally no difference to your body between those two breakfasts." Yeah. And then they're like, "Then they say that must be why I haven't lost any weight."
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah.
1: That's, um, yeah, that it's, that's very frustrating and it's because it's just what we've been told for years and years. And so, you know, it's frustrating to me because people really often are trying and they yes, really yes. are trying and they just don't know. They don't, they don't know. Cause that's, I mean, they're, they just believe it. They're like, okay, well this makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to get mm-hmm. fat, so I probably shouldn't eat fat.
0: Right. And, it, you know, on a very simple level, it, it sounds like it makes sense. Sure. And that's why I really wish that professionals would stop calling what's on the human body fat. Oh, really I agree. We should call it adipose tissue.
1: Adipose tissue, tissue yes. That's right.
0: We really should. But I know that's that's annoying, but really we should be slowly making that change so that you didn't have that feeling of symmetry when you say eat fat, get fat. You know, that just, yep. uh, it's poetic. It sounds like it should be true, but yep. it's not true. Yeah,
1: I agree. I totally agree with you. All right, well, it sounds like you've got some really great information in this book. I am super excited to read it myself. And like I told you before we started this call, I um, just I'll tell it again since my so my listeners know, I don't want to pretend, uh, you know, make false claims. I have not read this book yet. Um, I know about it because I've heard you on lots of other podcasts, and I love what you talk about in this and that you are that you do talk about in this book. So I'm anxious to read it. I haven't had a chance yet because like I told you, my daughter unexpectedly ended up in the hospital and that just kind of threw everything out of whack. But um, some of the things it says you talk about in here is the truth about whole wheat's effect on the human body, whether milk is good for you, the facts about fat intake on your heart health, how the food pyramid came into existence, the dangers and benefits of hormone therapy, the truth about salt, how doctors think about prevention and nutrition, and much more. So that I mean, I don't know who wouldn't want to read all that.
0: (laughs) I hope a few people want to read it. That would be nice.
1: Yeah, I really hope so. And I love that you talked about that you put, a, a, you know, their last chapter is aimed at your colleagues. I think that's wonderful. And I think it will be a good tool for patients like us to be able to read that. And, you know, dare I say, maybe even somebody take your book to a doctor, their doctor, and say, hey, this is why I want to talk to you about these things.
0: Mm -hmm. exactly and if that annoys your doctor and upsets him you should maybe find a new doctor
1: yep totally agree well Ken I'm not going to keep you any longer I want to be respectful of your time I really appreciate all the great information that you gave us today and um, I just want to remind everybody if you have not yet you need to get out there get the book Lies My Doctor Told Me Medical Myths That Can Harm Your Health Dr. Ken Berry so thanks again Ken I really appreciate you being on the show today
0: Thanks so much for having me, Jessica. Let's do this again sometime.
1: I would love to. And I look forward to seeing you. I hear that you are also going to be on the low-carb cruise.
0: I am. I I'm, I'm somehow have been appointed to be one of the speakers. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm very excited to meet you guys and to learn new things.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm right there with you. I actually, um, I'm like, OK, Jimmy, that sounds great. So what am I going to be talking about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: So, yeah, it ought to be interesting. It's going to be great, though. So I look forward to meeting you in person then.
0: Absolutely. Talk to you next
1: time. All right. Bye-bye. Wow, what great information there from Dr. Ken. That is amazing. I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. I wanted to give you a few more links that you could follow to get some more information about Dr. Ken if you're interested in that. We, he has a YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com forward slash Ken D Barry MD. So that is youtube.com forward slash K E N D B E R R Y M D. And I will put links to this in the show notes as well. He also has a Facebook page. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Ken D Barry dot MD Again, that's facebook.com forward slash kendberry.md. And you can, like I said, you can get his book on Amazon right now. And I will go ahead and put the links to the, in the show notes to all of these so that you can just click right through from the show notes. You can do so on podbean.com. Or you should be able to access the show notes anywhere that you are listening to this podcast. I know you can on iTunes and Stitcher, uh, probably most of the other ones as well. I'm just not super familiar with, with all of them. So I hope that you guys enjoyed that and enjoyed that podcast today. And I really look forward to talking with you next week. We've got some more great interviews coming up and a couple more solo episodes where I'm going to answer some more of your questions that are coming in. I'm trying very hard to keep up with all those. I appreciate you guys sending them and I encourage you to continue to do so. I have a a bunch of them in queue and I I try to put together, uh, kind of combine as many of those as I can. So that are kind of similar. So if you have some questions, just send those in to me and keep the reviews coming. Those are so important as well. And until next time, guys, I guess have a great week and I'll talk to you all soon. And again, like always, if you want to connect with me, you can do so at jessicatai.com. You can send me an email, jessica at You can follow me on Instagram. I am at that keto blonde. And my Facebook is Facebook dot com forward slash Jessica Thai Nutrition. Until next time, guys, have a great week. Bye-bye. Today's Keto Lifestyle Podcast has been brought to you by Clearlight Saunas. They are a true full-spectrum infrared sauna line with low EMF and low ELF. These saunas are not just endorsed by a doctor, but they have been designed by a doctor. They have proven clinical results and have even been clinically tested for weight loss. These saunas are safe and effective with high output infrared heaters. If you've wanted to experience an infrared sauna in your own home, don't delay anymore. Check them out on the web today at www.infraredsauna.com. That's I-N-F-R-A-R-E-D-S-A-U-N-A dot com. And when you order your infrared sauna, make sure to let them know that Jessica Ty sent you with the Keto Lifestyle Podcast, and they will give you a special offer with more savings off their already reduced holiday sales pricing. Go get yours today, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode.